Liminal Luncarty by S.J. Lyle. I was born and grew up in an unremarkable village in Perthshire called Luncarty. In those days, it was pretty small, no more than a handful of streets sandwiched between a motorway on one side and the River Tay on the other. Like everywhere, it holds its own folklore, if you know where to look or who to ask. A field just to the south of the village is called Denmark Field, which has a standing stone that marks the site of a battle between the Scots and the Danes, circa 990 AD. There's a couple of differing folk tales attached to it, one being that Danes sneaking up on the Scottish camp stood on a thistle and cried out, alerting the Scots to their presence. This led to the adoption of the thistle as the national emblem. An alternative tale is that a peasant farmer used his plough to block retreating Danes, or possibly deserting Scots, and in thanks, the king granted him a swathe of land. Turn west from Denmark Field and cross the motorway. You'll find a reed-choked pond, worthy of the spirit of dark and lonely water. This is known locally as Jeannie's Pond. A tale attached to this is that a woman named Jeannie was murdered in the nearby four-mile house and her body thrown from a window into the pond. Unless the pond was much larger in the past, this would have been physically impossible. Another version of the tale is that a horse and carriage crashed into the pond, drowning everyone on board, and on certain nights the the carriage would emerge to pound the leafy country back roads. As bogus as the tale sounds, in the 1990s, some occupiers of Four Mile House claimed that their dog wouldn't stay downstairs. Their curtains would open mysteriously of their own accord, and they would be plagued by the smell of burning candles. Take a walk up the leafy lane towards the hamlet of Red Gorton. Continue past the row of houses that this comprises, and you'll come to a crossroads. If you go north you'll come to Battleby House, headquarters of Scottish Natural Heritage, where my mum worked nights as a cleaner. She has some strange tales to tell of apparitions in old-fashioned riding gear, hand dryers that would switch themselves on and off of their own accord, and parts of the building her colleagues would point-blank refuse to enter on their own. If you were to go further past Battleby, you'll come to Moneydye, where a schoolmate claimed his granddad owned a sword that had belonged to a local warlock. Instead, turn east, back towards Luncarty. Close to the bridge over the motorway, my mum encountered a big cat in the late 80s. While walking to work one night, a large beast crossed the road in front of her. She assumed it was a dog until it turned to look at her and its face was clearly feline. She later identified it as a Kellis cat, a jet-black hybrid of a domestic cat and a Scottish wildcat known from the far north of Scotland. A few days later, a colleague saw what was presumably the same creature in the same location, and it flattened its ears and hissed at her. Cross the flyover into the village proper and past the site of the old station. There's no sign of it now, just some new-build houses. In the 1980s, it was overgrown waste ground with a few dilapidated sheds and was the site of a prowler hunt. A shady figure had been lurking around the village, so a bunch of us kids decided that we were best placed to deal with this, forming a mob armed with sticks and torches. We were convinced we'd cornered them in some bushes here, but whoever, or whatever it was, melted away into the night. 
Carry on along the main road and you'll come to the graveyard, or Kirk Hill Cemetery to give it its real name, that nobody ever uses. It's certainly on a hill, but there's no Kirk. Climb the steep but short path up and you'll come to a mort house, a stone building set in the walls where a watchman would sit up all night with a corpse before burial. My great-great-something uncle used to do this job and lived in a cottage across the road. It still exists. It would be a bit weird to chap the door and ask the current occupants for a look round. The door of the mort house used to be kept locked, but now it's left open, and sadly it's become a repository for empty cider bottles. Climb the few steps into the old section of the graveyard. This used to be a favoured playground of ours. The flat, table-like grave of Thomas Turnbull hosted numerous Ouija board sessions. Take a wander into the newer section with its neat, modern graves and you'll find a large number of my relatives, from distant relatives long gone by the time I was born, to my granny and my dad, passings that left their mark. Climb back down the hill and walk back into the village and keep going downhill along Marshall Way. You could turn off to look at the house where I grew up in, but my mum moved recently and I have no idea who lives there now. Keep going until you reach the point where a footpath meets the road. Turn left and it'll take you into Witch's Wood. I'd always assume that was merely a childish nickname as they were dark and spooky, but it's called that on some maps. I've never heard any tales of witches attached to them, though. A local man was once claimed to have seen the devil himself there. Mind you, he was a bit of a bevy merchant, so take that with a pinch of salt. However, a local author claims that there was a tree in this wood that people knocked nails into to cure toothache. But I'd never heard of this before his book, nor have I been able to find it. The only other spooky tale attached to the wood was a school friend who claimed to have seen a robed monk-like figure gliding along a path late one night. But again, I have my doubts about that. Turn right into the other patch of wood, and you'll come to the site of what was possibly my only brush with the supernatural. Once on a holiday, when I was around seven or eight, my brother, a friend and I were playing here one afternoon. We decided that we'd had enough, and we were heading home along the footpath at the bottom of the hill. At that time, there was a ruined house to the left of the footpath. As we approached this... Something flashed from the bushes on the right-hand side of the path in front of us and into the ruined house. I remember this as being a white blob, almost like the stereotypical image of a ghost in a shroud, but featureless. It looked like it was slightly luminous and was moving clear off the ground, maybe a foot or two. This is what convinced us to turn and run. To this day, I'm at a loss to explain this experience, the fact whatever it was was clear off the ground and moved at a fair distance on the level would suggest it wasn't someone in a sheet. The weather was overcast and I don't recall it being windy. I don't know of any other reliable stories of strange events in that wood. A schoolmate claimed that you could see spectral figures glide across the neighbouring field where Sandman Court now stands, but I never met anyone who claims to have seen them firsthand. I've trailed through that wood at all hours of the day and night since and never had any other weird experiences. At the time, we interpreted it as a ghost, but looking back, I'd be more inclined to view it as some kind of light or energy phenomena. I recall writing it up as part of the What I Did During the Holidays essay we had to write when the new school term started. I'd love to go and see if there's details in there I've forgotten, but it's long gone. 
I spoke to my brother about this recently for the first time in many years, and his unprompted recollection of the event pretty much tallies with mine. Climb up the hill, come out of the woods, into the car park, and cross into Isla Road, and look for number 31. This is where I was born, in the back bedroom at 4.44am on March morning in the mid-1970s. And this is as good a place to end this ramble around the landscape of the myths of my childhood.